Jeremiah are all going to focus on God's charge against the, the children of Israel. God's charge against uh, the north and, and the south. And an effort, the effort that, that God is putting into the first 25 chapters is a call, in essence, to repentance. There's nowadays really, it seems like it's really hard for people to acknowledge wrong. You don't think you've done anything. Oh, I got loud. You don't think you've done anything, but here's what I want you to know. I want you to know I have this against you. Chapter 2, he said, you have forgotten me. In chapter 3, he said, you have failed to repent. And in chapter 4, he said, he's going to say, you have filled your heart with wickedness. So God's laying out to them. And what they're saying, hey, I think we're good. You know, I, I haven't really done anything. You know, I, we should be good. God should, should deliver us, everything should be fine. And the Lord's saying, well, here's my problem. Your view and mine are different. So if God's view and ours is different, who's right? It should be easy, right? I'd like to think it was. But uh, still a struggle for a lot of people. So, And it was for them. And so the, the Lord begins in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 1, with a call uh, uh, to return to him. It's not that God's denying them forgiveness. He'll forgive. What does 1 John 1 9 tell us? Confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. So he says he will do it. He says in, in Jeremiah 4 verse 1, If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. And then he challenges them. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and don't waver. So when he says, if you'd remove the detestable things from my presence, that means that in the temple in Jerusalem there were idols set up to other gods. Uh, when you go to Israel today, you can still walk through some of the museums and see countless uh, examples of idols that they dug up all around uh, Jerusalem, where, you know, people were trying to, to pad uh, their chest. God said this, but, but just in case God doesn't come through, we should have Baal as well. And, and if Baal doesn't come through, we, we want to make sure we, we're not making Ashtoreth upset. And, and just in case Ashtoreth's upset, we want to make sure that we have a chance with Molech. So they would have all these other gods. Yes, ma'am. It's not working. Check, check. I'll just holler. Yeah. Did you turn this on? Yeah, that's fine. That'll work. I won't. I won't wander. Uh, every time I wear this mic, anyway, I'm, I think I'm supposed to dance on stage or something while I'm doing this. <laughs> okay. So as we look at it, here's here's what he's saying for him. Hey, remove that stuff. Step away. It's really no different than if we, you know, we've talked about this a number of times. If, if you're in a relationship with a man or a woman, do you want them to be faithful? Usually that's part of the gig, right? So it's no different with the Lord. That's what God says. I want you to be faithful. Well, Lord, you're not doing it like I want. Then God's, the, the second line he usually brings is, and now I want you to trust me. Trust me. 
I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to accomplish the things that I promised. But it may not always look like it looks for us. If you get a chance, you should read the book of Habakkuk. We've been doing it and living by the book. And, and as we look at the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is saying to the Lord, What are you doing, God? Because things are crazy. And there's a lot of wicked people. And there's a lot of things that we think you ought to be dealing with. And the Lord said to Habakkuk, Look, if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe me. And you go through that entire book and, and God begins to tell him about some of the things he's going to do and the fact that the people are in a place of judgment and God's going to bring judgment against them. And Habakkuk at the end, he says this, he says, even though I don't have anything, I lose everything, I choose to trust you. So whatever you're going to take me through, whatever we're going to do, he says, it's you and me till the wheels fall off. And that's the kind of faithfulness, faithfulness that God wants from his people. So this is the challenge. He's telling them, hey, take your detestable things from my presence. There were times in Israel's history that all the way into the Holy of Holies, they had idols. So the Lord's like, what are you doing? You know, this is supposed to be where, where we meet. This is our place. And you've, there are other things there. So he's saying... Remove the detestable things from my presence. Do not waver. And if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, in righteousness, then all the nations uh, shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. So, so the Lord is saying, if you return to me, you get rid of these things, you follow me, it's going to bless all the nations of the world. Your choice in following me is going to bring a blessing to all the nations who are watching. And not only that, they're going to bless all the nations who are watching, but also it's, it is going to um, have them, help them, other nations and yourself to find your glory in the Lord. It's like that idea that we find that thing that connects us, that thing that we, we, we go through life and we feel like there's dissonance. Dissonance is like when you strike a chord on a musical instrument and it's not in tune. And you'll hear this vibration like woo, woo, woo. That's dissonance. That dissonance is saying something's not right. And we go through our lives sometimes and we hear that. We don't know what it is. There's not a knob to turn to make it go away like there is on a guitar. So, so we, but we hear that dissonance. The Lord is saying that that dissonance goes away because you'll find your glory, your purpose, the things that you need and the things that you lack in a relationship with God. So this is what God is calling them to. Come to me. And Amos, uh, another prophet around the same time, Amos said, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. So this is not God who's saying, man, I just can't wait to drop a hammer on you guys. This is a God calling his people to repentance. In Amos 5 verse 6, he says, Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. What's, what's that about? Well, the Lord's saying, look, man, come to me before, before we reach the point where judgment has to come. Repent, and I'll forgive, and we can continue to move forward together. But if you don't, there will be a fire in the house of God. That's what Bethel is. The house of God. And there will be nobody to quench it. The Bible tells us judgment begins where? Judgment begins in the house of God. So that judgment pouring forth, the Lord is saying, look, his, his heart is not a heart that says, you know, I can't wait to judge. But he also says, I will not strive with man forever. All the way back in Genesis, I won't strive forever. In, in verse 3, he goes on now and he's, he's telling him, I, I want you to return to me and I want you to be circumcised. But maybe not like we think. He says in verse 3, for thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up the fallow ground, and sow not among the thorns. So he's saying, man, you're, the ground, he's describing their heart, the ground of your heart is hard. We need to break up the fallow ground. And don't sow seed amidst the thorns. Which tends to mean that we get rid of the thorns first. Right? 
I don't know what this thing is I got growing in my grass. Well, the goat heads I know, but this ain't goat heads. It's something else. And every once in a while, that thing pops up, and it is noxious. If I leave it alone, ignore it, and pretty soon there's a huge patch of it. And I ignore it some more, and it gets bigger and bigger, and the grass dies out more and more. So I go, got to go in there with a propane torch and burn the snot out of that stuff. And when I burn that all up, the grass comes back. The Lord's saying, don't sow the seed amidst the thorns, deal with the thorns. What is he describing when he's talking about dealing with the thorns? He's talking about their sin. You can't just come to the Lord and not deal with your sin. Now, what does it mean when God says, I want you to deal with your sin? It's not as complicated as you think. God is not saying, look, you need to clean up your life before you come to me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you need to come to me and confess so I can forgive. When Jesus came healing, you remember when he'd come, who did he heal? Did he heal those who were well? Yeah, he said, I've only come for the sick. Now, was, was it that everybody wasn't sick? Well, every, for sure everybody's sick. They all have the same illness. But the problem is some people don't want to be well. They don't think they're sick. They think what they're doing, how they're living is fine. So Jesus said, I didn't come for you. I came for the sick. So he'd go down to the street people, right? He'd go down to the prostitutes and the tax collectors because none of them were thinking their life was okay. And they would come to him in droves. I've come for the sick. Not that the sick would would purge their own sin and then come to me, but that they would come to me and I'll purge their sin. You remember Isaiah, when Isaiah's getting his call from the Lord, and it says, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, his train filled the temple. Isaiah, standing before God, says, woe is me, for I'm an unclean man, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. So that's Bible speak, for I'm a sinner, I'm a mess, I messed up. And immediately the Lord purges his sin. That's what the Lord is calling for his people. Deal with the thorns. Deal with the thorns. Come to me. I'll take care of them for you. But you got to tell me they're thorns, not that everything's okay. You got to come and, and make the, that proclamation before him. Do not sow among the thorns. Look at verse four. Circumcise yourself to the Lord. <clears throat> Remove the foreskin of your heart. Yeah, it's the same thing. That the apostles talked about, that Jesus talked about. Look, it's not about some ritual thing you went through. You know, I came forward in church one time, or I was baptized in the fifth grade. God's not interested in your ritual. God wants reality. There's a difference between ritual and reality. Ritual is just saying, I punched a card, I, I filled out a checklist, I got all the questions right on my catechism. Whatever the thing is, God's saying, look, I don't want, I don't want your ritual, I want the reality. I really want you to, to pursue me, I want you to come. That's what it is to circumcise your heart. To come before the Lord honestly and, and open. He says, O men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. The word of God declares that God will judge sin. It will get dealt with. And if we want to stay king of the mountain, standing on a giant mountain of manure, this is my kingdom, and this is not sin I'm standing on. Every time I go by a feedlot, I think that when I look at them cattle right on top, perched on top of all the manure. Yeah, you're king of the hill. Sometimes that's what we're saying. We're king of the hill. Well, what are you king of? That's, that's nothing to be king of, right? I'd rather acknowledge, Lord, I, I'm king of the hill. I'm a king of this, this hill of manure. Uh, and I need to confess that to you and be cleansed. And, and be lifted up. If we humble ourselves before the Lord, he declares that he will lift them up. So he tells them where judgment's coming from. Now, the judgment hasn't begun marching yet. And if the judgment's not marching yet, at, at right outside their doors, 
there's still time, there's still opportunity. He says to Jeremiah, declare in Judah, proclaim in Jerusalem and say, blow the trumpet through the land, cry aloud and say, assemble, let us go into the fortified cities, raise a standard toward Zion, flee for safety, stay not, for I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. So he tells them ahead of time, destruction is coming from the north. Now we're going to run into why there was a problem. But here the Lord speaking through Jeremiah saying, man, you need to get out of here. Joel, the prophet Joel, in Joel chapter 2 verse 1 said, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. The day of the Lord is two things. Salvation for his people and judgment for sin. And which group you're standing on depends on whether that's a good day or a bad day. God's call is for all men everywhere to repent and believe. And now he's going to give a description. Now it just so happens that the kingdom coming from Babylon has a mascot. They're marching as a lion. Lion was the mascot of Babylon. A lion with wings. So it says in Jeremiah 4, 7, A lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. Now in this case, God's just speaking the truth. That's what's going to happen. But that truth is not in the sense of a decree, meaning that God has decreed this to happen, and that's the only option. And I know it's not a decree because God's going to send Jeremiah knocking door to door to door to tell people, you don't have to die. You don't have to be conquered like this. When Babylon came the first time, they took Daniel. You guys remember the book of Daniel? If you've ever studied Daniel, Daniel goes in the first captivity. It's it's a, a relatively short battle compared to the rest. Nebuchadnezzar wins. He sets up a puppet king. And everybody who's left behind can now choose to live their lives in subservice to uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And they can have a good life. And they can build homes. And the families can stay together. And everything can be good. But God knows they're not going to listen. Jeremiah walks through the midst of the people and says, stop fighting. This is God's plan. Stop fighting. This is what God has for you. If you keep fighting, the king's going to keep coming down. And if he keeps coming down, eventually, there's not going to be nothing left. At the time, one of the wonders of the world was in Jerusalem. This temple that Solomon built. A lot of gold incredible beauty and wealth just in the building didn't have to get tore down didn't have to be destroyed but god knows that's what's going to happen why because man is stubborn you ever notice that have you ever been stubborn where god's telling you something god's giving you direction for something maybe god's calling you to repentance and you just don't and you don't and you don't i always say first it starts with a switch And then it moves to a two-by-four. And it keeps getting bigger. You know, it's a drag when he hits you with a truck. You don't want to wait for that point. You want to be responding when you feel that unction in your spirit saying, you know what, there's something wrong. Just like you would in a relationship with a man or a woman, somebody that you are are joined together with, husband or wife, if there's something wrong in your relationship, you're not supposed to ignore it. You're not supposed to pretend it's not there. You're not supposed to stick your head in the sand and hope it goes away. You pursue. You figure out how to come to peace. It's the same way with the Lord. If something's wrong, most of the time it's, it's not God. God didn't do something wrong. Most of the time, Jackie got his head stuck somewhere and he needs help getting it out. And God's going to bring those opportunities for that to be corrected. So he's telling them about the distress that's coming. Listen to what he's telling them in verse 8. For this, put on sackcloth, lament and wail. 
For, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. Now, what did it mean when a people put on sackcloth? It's a sign of repentance. It's a sign of repentance. When Jonah went to Nineveh, what did the king of Nineveh do? Jonah didn't want them people to get saved, for God to have mercy on them. So when he went through Nineveh, the only message he gave was, 40 days from now, God's going to kill you all. That's not a lot of people coming forward to receive the Lord when that happens. But the king of Nineveh took off his robe, laid down his crown, put on sackcloth, sat in an ash heap and called the people to repent. And God brought mercy. He's saying, man, put on sackcloth because judgment's coming. Judgment is coming. In that day, declares the Lord, courage will fail both king and officials. The priests will be appalled and the prophets astounded. Now here's the rub. Why is it that Jeremiah is so unsuccessful in his ministry? Jeremiah is unsuccessful because there are a whole other group of prophets. So Jeremiah is standing up and saying, this is what God's doing. And another group of prophets is standing up and saying, no, 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 that's not what God's doing. God's going to deliver us. He's going to bring peace. Don't worry about it. We're not in sin. God's going to judge these other nations for what they've done. Now, how many of you know people like to listen to the message they like to hear? And they don't always listen to the message that they need to hear. Anybody have kids? You ever try to tell your kids something they need to hear but they can't hear? I know I did. It might be because my parenting technique wasn't the greatest. I don't know. But my kids were not always able to hear me. Sometimes they chose the hard way. Sometimes they chose to listen to what their friend said or what somebody else told them. And they thought that would be better. In the same way, Jeremiah is actually speaking the word of the Lord, but you have other prophets who are talking, and the people are believing them. Now just listen. You have one prophet standing, you're a family, husband, wife, couple small children. There's no food, been no food in the city for, for a month. And you look over at your child, and your child is dying. And you're actually starting to talk about whether or not you're going to be able to eat them when they die. And Jeremiah comes to your door. And he says, you don't have to die. Just surrender. And everything will be okay. And then right behind him comes another prophet. No, God's going to deliver us. Just stay strong. You just got to last a little while longer. And the people to a man believed the wrong prophet. God said, all of your kings and officials aren't going to have the answers. The leaders aren't going to have the answer for you. The prophets aren't going to have the answer for you. Because you won't hear the word of the Lord. You won't hear the thing that God is speaking. The prophets are calling you the true prophet is calling you to repentance. The rest are saying everything's going to be okay. So then Jeremiah responds in verse 10. Listen, these are, these are Jeremiah's words. He says, then I said, Ah, <clears throat> oh, Lord God, surely you have utterly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying it shall be well with you, whereas the sword has reached their very life. Jeremiah said, but Lord, it's like you've deceived them because they won't listen to nothing I'm saying. The Bible says that in the last days, Men are going to heap up for themselves teachers that scratch their itching ears, telling them the things they want to hear. So you have churches across the nation that will tell people, don't worry about that. that's not sin anymore. That's okay. You know, we're in, a, we're in the 21st century. We're going to drag the Bible kicking and screaming into it with us. So, so these things aren't, you know, those aren't the things we want to focus on. These are the things we want to focus on now. And people will receive what they want to hear. And they'll ignore the truth. And one day, that sin will be judged. All the while, God is 
providing time. 1 Peter 3.9 says, God's not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering, desiring that no one would perish. So he waits and he calls. Just like he was doing with Jeremiah. He waits and he calls. Jeremiah recognizes that the deception in the hearts of the people is such that they're going to choose to die rather than choose to live. But when God stood before the people at the very beginning when they came to the promised land, he said, see, I have put before you on these two mountains, blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life. But he let them choose. He let them choose what they wanted to do. It says in verse 11, At that time it will be said to this people and Jerusalem, A hot wind from the bare heights of the desert toward the daughter of my people, not to winnow or cleanse. A wind too full for this comes for me. Now it is I who speak in judgment upon them. Behold, he comes up like the clouds, his chariots like the whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, we are ruined. You know, the day that that mother and father watched their child slip into eternity by starvation from their own stubbornness, you don't, you don't think they are thinking about some of these things? Did I make the right choice? Lord, where are you? All the while, the Lord is saying, I'm right here. I'm just telling you, surrender. All the people ever had to do in the judgment of Babylon is lay down their sword, walk out of the city walls, and be fed. That's it. But they're going to fight and fight and fight until the day Nebuchadnezzar comes mows the entire city down so that it's just sand so that every home is destroyed he's going to divide every family he's going to send men one side women another side children another side families are going to be disrupted and torn apart maybe never to be reunited again all because the stubbornness of men and an unwillingness to repent and submit to god's authority in their life we still sometimes have these problems within us. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 23, we'll see it uh, maybe in a week or two. Jeremiah 23, thus says the Lord of hosts. Listen to what God was telling the people at this time. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hope. They speak visions of their own minds, not the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it will be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster will come upon you. That was all lies. God's point was that judgment was coming. He told them, judgment's coming. Repent. Relent. Seek the Lord and live. Why should you die, O Israel? That's the, that's the voice of God calling to them. He says in verse 14, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, your mind needs cleansed. We, we do this, it's, there's this word in uh, theology called, boy, it's, it's a hard word to say, anthropocentric. It might be anthropocentric, but anyways, the idea is man-centered. We get man-centered, not theocentric, God-centered, we get man-centered. And when we get man-centered, our, our desires become forefront in our life. And when our desires become forefront in our life, we start to deceive ourselves. We start to change the way we interpret Scripture. We start to change the things that the Word of God says so that we can have the things that we want, our desires. But the Word of God says that if you delight yourself in the law of the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean He'll give you the new car. That means He will put His desires, He'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll put His desire in your heart. He will enable us 
to do the things he's asking us to do. We don't have to churn up the desire on our own. We just delight in him. And he will provide these things. Oh, Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil so that you might be saved. How long shall these wicked thoughts lodge within you? How long are you going to hold on to them? How long could you watch your children and your neighbor's children and the people around you die of starvation? How long can you do that? Without wanting to repent. James 4.8 says this, Draw near unto God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. A double-minded man is a man who is two-souled. Has two souls. He's got part of his soul that has this desire to follow the Lord. And he's got part of his soul that has a desire to do what he wants. And a double-minded man is unstable in everything he does. He can't, he can't follow the Lord like he ought. He can't turn his back because he's two-souled. He wants what he wants. Every single baby knows this. You ever try to have a rational discussion with a three-month-old? Well, a three-month-old does what? If a three-month-old wants something to eat, the three-month-old is going to make noise until you feed them, right? You can't sit down and say, well, listen now, you really don't. Why? Because they have a a built-in system that requires them, when when I am hungry, I do this. And and when I need my diaper changed, I do this. And when I do it loud enough, people respond from all over the place, right? But But the reality is, even in all of that stuff, even with all of that, that we don't stay that way, right? We grow. And when we grow, it it's no longer cute when it's a six year old. Right? Six year old that's that's wants something and just screams. How long does that work at your house? Don't work very long at my house. Grandpa and grandma only want quiet. I don't even care about justice, right? Just quiet. Stop. So what we have is the desires of men, the two-souled man, the Lord saying, purify your heart. Get rid of that. Once we walked as a child, we talked as a child, we did these childish things, but when we become a man, we put that stuff away. We put that stuff away. We are one-souled. We are in pursuit of the Lord God Almighty. That's at least what being a Christian is supposed to be all about. Verse 15, he says, For a voice declares from Dan, proclaims trouble from Mount Ephraim. Now, Mount Ephraim, remember, that was the northern kingdom. They'd already been conquered. So Babylon is passing through the northern kingdom on their way to Judah. So they're passing through from Mount Ephraim. Warn the nations, he's coming. Judgment is coming. Announce to to Jerusalem, besiegers from a distant land. They shout against the cities of Judah. They're on their way. You don't have to die. We read the New Testament, the message hasn't changed. You ever read Revelation? Why does God tell us all that? Why does he lay out for us all those, all those judgments and all those cries? And what, what do you think God means when he says, even in the midst of all these things, they would not repent. Rather, they shake their fists at the Lord and they say, hey, we will not have this man to rule over us. Why should you perish? Don't have to. But you have the freedom to choose. Verse 17, here's the clear message. Like keepers of a field, uh, are they against her all around? Because she has rebelled against me, declares the Lord. Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom, and it is bitter, and it has reached your very heart. So God, when he's saying, what's God's beef? He's saying, you are rebellious. These are your ways and your deeds, God's just saying this is the consequence of these, of your ways. What's the book of Proverbs about? You look at the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs describes for us two ways. 
two paths you can go by. The path that leads to life and the path that leads to death. The path of the fool, the path of the wise. The path of the prostitute, the path of lady wisdom. Every one of the Proverbs you look at, you have this contrast between the way that leads to life and the way that leads to death. And why is it that these are assembled for us? So you recognize the road you're on. Are the choices you're making, the path you're walking, does it lead to life? Just match it up to the Proverbs and ask. The Lord has provided us with road signs so that we might know where we are. So that we can respond. So that we can look back at these people who went before us. Because our ways are leading us to our doom. That's how that works. It is the path that men walk. This is your doom. Now listen to how God describes it. It's not like he's excited by it. It's bitter. Your doom is bitter. But it is also fatal. I had a, we, I grew up in Ukaipa, and you guys don't know where that's at, but now you at least know where I grew up. So I grew up in Ukaipa, in, in California. We lived on this uh, little neighborhood. We had a uh, bunch of kids we ran around, around with, just like here. Well, we didn't have um, video games or cell phones back then, so we actually played ball. So we'd go play basketball or frisbee or tag or cops and robbers. I don't know. We did all kind of stuff. You know, we did bad stuff. We lit fields or, or, or lit fields on fire, playing with matches. You know, all the normal kid stuff. We uh, we just hung hung out with these guys. Some of those guys that I grew up with, I I, I still am in contact with. One of those guys, man, he was such a. Uh, just a quiet kid, man. He, his brother was a little rowdier than him, but he was the little brother, you know, and I hung out with it. My, actually, my little brother hung out with his older brother. But I always just thought he was a, he's a nice kid, you know. He died in his mom and dad's bathroom, laying next to a toilet with a needle in his arm. For What? Nobody knows that that, those choices lead to death. That little kid that was eight years old playing tag in the street, I would have never looked at him and said, he's going to be a heroin junkie. He moved back home and his mom and dad were all excited. Maybe he's going to make it. Maybe he's going to make it. It's not a lot of joy in finding your child now in their 20s, with a needle in their arm, dead on the bathroom floor. The Lord said, it's bitter. You don't have to die. Nobody has to do that. There is deliverance. It's not a deliverance that required that young man to figure out how to fix himself. It just required that young man to call out on the name of the Lord and allow God to work in his life. But God had a lot of rules. He just didn't want to be ruled over by not being able to make his own choices. The kids I grew up with in that little neighborhood in Southern California, a handful are still alive. There was not people selling drugs on every corner. We're just a normal school, you know, kids in high school. We drank beer, we partied, kids smoked dope. But that's all pretty normal for everywhere. Don't think that's not normal for Buell. (laughs) I've been to the football games. So, but you know, some of the things, some of the choices, some of the decisions led some of them down a road that was not leading to life. It led to death. And all the while, every step of the way, God, through his prophets, other believers, was there saying, turn around. 
You don't have to go this way. You don't have to die. Men choose that life. Men and women make decisions that take them down those places. And there is deliverance in Jesus Christ. There is. I'm not trying to paint a picture that it's not difficult and it's not hard. Every choice you make is difficult and hard. There's deliverance. There can be repentance. There is salvation. There's hope. But there's no hope you keep going down that road. I went down that road a long ways. I can tell you it's at the end of it. But I can still sit down with kids who are making those choices today and see the look in their eye. I'm not dumb. You don't believe a word I'm saying. You think I'm stupid. These rules are stupid and you're going to be the exception to the rule. This is the same attitude of those that the Lord was speaking to. So what were the consequences? Verse 19, my anguish, my anguish. This is Jeremiah. I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent for I hear the sound of the trumpet. Now they can't see him. Nobody could look outside and see disaster coming. But Jeremiah knows it's coming. And because he knows it's coming, he's in pain watching people choose to die. That's the way God's people ought to react. They ought to react in a way that says, I'm in pain because of the choices they're making. They ought to react in a way that says, oh my gosh, I cannot keep silent because they're all going to die. Crash follows hard on crash. A whole land is laid waste. Suddenly my tents are laid waste. My curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? See, Jeremiah is going to hear it his whole life. He hears it coming and nobody believes him. It's coming. Oh, Jeremiah, you're always singing the same old tune. I hear it every night I go to bed. I hear the crashing. I hear the ripping of the tents. I hear the destruction taking place. But here's the problem, verse 22. For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. Though they are wise in doing evil, but how to do good they do not know. What is the path to wisdom? The Bible says the path of wisdom is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lady wisdom is a depiction of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Proverbs chapter 8. Man, read it sometime. We take a look at this and we say, man, this is, this is how we walk in wisdom. Now, we, we say there is no God. We turn our heart away from wisdom. What's the alternative? According to Proverbs, we turn away from wisdom. We're now walking the path of the fool. What's the problem with the fool? The fool doesn't know what to do. The fool doesn't know what to do. They just keep doing it. They don't learn from instruction. They give their back to the, to the stripes and don't learn from correction they just keep going they don't know how to walk out verse 23 jeremiah says i looked on the earth and behold it was without form and void into the heavens and they had no light he's saying man i i'm looking around like he's describing this this dream of the coming devastation and he says it's like uncreation you recognize the language of creation, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, out of the chaos. God brought order. Well, now in this judgment, out of order, God is bringing chaos. The uncreation is taking place. In Amos chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were a, a brand plucked out of the burning. So they're plucked out. They're saved. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. You didn't repent. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Listen to what he will do. Prepare to meet your God. 
Bible says it's a fearful thing to stand before a holy God. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Well, there's a way to be ready for that. But it certainly isn't the pride of mankind. He looked in verse 24, I looked on the mountains, those things which are so stable in life, and they were quaking. And I looked to the hills, but they were moving to and fro. I looked, and behold, there was no men. Man is gone. All the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a desert. All the cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before His anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land will be a desolation. And then he gives a promise, but I will not make a full end. He doesn't utterly demolish. He doesn't do that. I will not make a full end, he says. What's his intention? For this, the earth shall mourn, the heavens will be dark. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. At the noise of horsemen and archer, every city takes to flight. They enter thickets, they climb along rocks. All the cities are forsaken, and no man dwells in them. He provides intervention. I'm not going to utterly wipe you out. But his intention, look, sin will be judged. If you want to stay in it, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to stand before God with all that boldness you had only moments ago. And then he gives an illustration of what the people are like. And you, O desolate one, what do you mean that you dress in scarlet? You adorn adorn yourselves with ornaments of gold, that you enlarge your eyes with paint. In vain you beautify yourself. Your lovers hate you. They seek your life. He says in light of this judgment that's coming, Israel, like a woman, is is dolling herself up in their language they're they're dressing like prostitutes in a hope that when the soldiers come then they just uh, are so beautiful they just want to take them and take care of them but the lord says that's not going to work they don't love you they hate you god says i love you i'm the one who found you cast off in a field when nobody wanted you I'm the one who cared for you. That's what Ezekiel 16 is all about. I'm the one who will care for you, but but they don't want to turn to him. In verse 31, he gives another illustration. For I heard a cry like a woman in labor. Anguish is one giving birth to her first child. The cry of the daughter of Zion, gasping for breath, stretching out her hands and saying, Woe is me. I am fainting before murderers. The only way you could feel more helpless than standing before an invading army would be to be giving birth in the midst of an invading army. You're totally without any ability to protect yourself, to protect your child, to do anything at all. And the illustration is this woman crying out, fainting before the Lord, gasping for breath, Saying, woe is me, I am fainting before the murderers. But that was the path they wanted to walk. It was not a path they had to walk. Nobody forces anybody to die with a needle in their arm. Nobody forces anybody to choose a path that leads to destruction. All the while, just like through Jeremiah in his day. God is calling men to repentance. God's calling men to life. He has a life to give. Deliverance to offer. But it, it's not without cost. It will cost me my desire. It'll cost me my stuff. Meitis. It'll cost me my self-focus. It'll cost me all of those things. Those things will be sacrificed on the idol before my Savior. Because he knows all of those things are going to lead to my destruction. 
but a life that is lived out for him will lead to my salvation. It's not an effort to destroy man's opportunity to find self-fulfillment. It's an opportunity to give us life. Amen? Would you guys stand with us? Let's pray. Father God, we just lift this time to you, Lord. We're thankful the work that you're doing in our midst. God, may we hear, may we see the tears in Jeremiah's eyes as he pleads with the people that won't hear him. May we consider ourselves, Lord, your word declares, let every one of you examine himself and see that he is in the faith. Not that there's some performance that we have to accomplish, but there's the reality of our hearts being circumcised, the laying down of my pride, the laying down of self, dying to me and being raised to Christ. Lord, I pray that we might just come to a full understanding of what your word is calling us to. We might recognize the signs, and perhaps those of us here tonight who who know, who have bowed the knee to our great God and King, who are being empowered to walk the road of life, would recognize, like Jeremiah, we can't just be quiet and watch people be destroyed. The Lord said in Ezekiel, I looked to and fro and could not find a man to stand in the gap. So the Lord said, so I did it. My arm is mighty to save. The arm of God's salvation is his son, Jesus Christ. He made the way. May we be men and women who will extend that way to others that they might choose. Repent and believe. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. The 